Very, very thankful that you're here, especially welcoming the Faulkner soccer team with our own Pritchard Darius, who leads that, and um, thank you. I, I knew you all were coming, but I certainly figured it would be 11 o'clock service, so rather impressed. You all are here at 8.30 and all lined up there. Glad all of you are here. Uh, we started our study of Nehemiah last week. Hope you have a, a scripture journal with you that you can uh, take notes in and study, take that to your life group. Think it will be a really, really good study. Let, let me show you an ancient device that maybe you hadn't seen for a long time. <laughs> Anybody recognize that? It's what we used to call a telephone. That's at a bedside table at a hotel room. And in old days before you had your phone and you would set your phone, you would actually check into your hotel room. You'd call the front desk and you would ask them for what? A wake-up call. And beautiful thing, the next morning you'd get that call and it'd wake you up. And I feel like that's what the book of Nehemiah is. It's a wake-up call to the people of God. It was a wake-up call for Nehemiah. You see, if you weren't here last week, here's the story. Uh, God's people have been in exile. They were taken away to a foreign country because of their disobedience. Now God's been sending them back. But even after a hundred years, the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, is still just a bunch of rubble. And Nehemiah finds out about this. He gets that wake-up call, and he shakes him up, and he makes plans to go back. We saw him in the last chapter. You know, he sees the condition of the city. He knows the issue's bigger than that. It's actually the honor of God is at stake. You see, this is God's city. How in the world can God's city be in this shape and we just sit here? So real revival starts with a holy dissatisfaction. Uh, I like how someone defined revival. It's when the, the fire of heaven invades the heart of a man or woman. Normally starts in one woman or one man's heart. The fire of heaven lands there. And that's what's going in Nehemiah. And he sees the condition. He can't turn the blind eye. He goes, things are not good. Meeting with a lot of the Faulkner coaches just a couple nights ago in a prayer meeting. I love when one of the coaches said, you know, I said, what can I pray for you? And, and she said, you know, last year, really the atmosphere, the camaraderie on our team, the relationships weren't what they should be. And I thought, well, how breathtakingly honest and fresh. Because you've got to see the bad before you can actually embrace the challenge. So it starts with that moment of dissatisfaction but then there's that moment where you must step over the edge okay we see Nehemiah in chapter one he's upset about it he weeps about it he prays about it but there's that moment we're gonna meet in chapter two where he's got to take the risk where finally he's got to step over the edge by faith have you remember high dives you know, you, you've jumped off the low dive forever and you've seen your friends on the high dive and finally you get your courage up to climb those steps. And you get up there and probably the first couple of times you get to the edge and you look down, it's a lot further than you thought. And maybe you backtrack. But finally there comes that day when you think in your mind, you know what, I've seen my friends do this. I've actually made it off the, the low dive fine. I, I, I'm, I'm going to finally just step over the edge. I'm going to go for it. That's that moment. And that's the moment that Nehemiah is going to face in chapter 2. 
where after all the prayers and all the weeping, there's that moment that he's got to walk by faith. And I'm just going to give you the key to this chapter. The key to this chapter is Nehemiah is a man who walked by faith, not by sight. I mean, everything he's going for, he cannot physically see it in front of him. He can only see it through the spiritual eyes of God. So let's dive into chapter 2. Hope you have your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, now that's important, not just because that's a car company, but actually um, that's four months after where we first saw Nehemiah. So for four months, he's been praying and waiting for this moment. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, many scholars think this time of year was like Persian Mardi Gras, okay? So there's a big party going on, and Nehemiah serving. And so he took the wine to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Well, pretty smart move. I mean, in ancient days, no one was to come into the king's presence with any sense of unhappiness. Everything was to cater to his emotions, So you could be in big trouble. Actually, you could have your head cut off if you came in the king, in front of the king with the bad, bad face. And the king said to me, king notices this, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness in the heart. And then Nehemiah probably seen some heads cut off. He said, then I was very much afraid. Isn't that refreshing? Here's one of the great characters of scripture who admits he was afraid. And guys, please listen to us as we talk about walking by faith today. That does not mean that you're never afraid. Nehemiah's got that moment. He sees what's in front of him. He knows what the king could do to him. And he is not just afraid. He is very much afraid. Now, understand this. Nehemiah is writing this book. If I were writing this book about myself, I think I'd left that line off. I think I'd try to look a little more heroic. But that's for you and me, because some of the steps of faith that you need to take, and I need to take, you may be afraid to take this morning. And then I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's a nice thing to say. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He says, guys, king, you got to understand, I'm really upset. Now, he doesn't give the real reason. We know he's upset because the honor of God's at stake. But he's trying to relate to this this heathen king. And in ancient cultures, families were everything. And so he says, how can I not be upset when the city where my family's graves are is in disrepair? He found some common ground there. I love when our brother Tom Harbin preached a few weeks ago. And we always sort of stay amazed that the way Tom reaches out to people is by finding common ground about what? Snakes. I mean, you know, I still have a hard time believing that, you know. If I were in the Garden of Eden, we'd still been there, right? I mean, snakes. And so you find that common ground. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And I love this. So right in the mid-conversation, Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I mean, just quickly. I mean, he's got to have God. So he just stops and prays. I don't think he used any of these and thous. I don't think he prayed a long time. I doubt he ever even got in Jesus' name, amen, in there, right? He just stops right there and just prays on the spot because this is a big deal. And then he speaks. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, 
that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So he makes the request. And the king said to me, the queen, I always like this part, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Most of us men are nicer when our wives are sitting beside us, right? And so I, I wouldn't doubt the queen may have whispered in his ears, just go ahead and do this. He's been really good to you, right? How long will you be gone and when you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. So Nehemiah gives the time. And then I want you to watch the next couple verses. Nehemiah had to swallow. He had to steal himself because he's about to ask big. I mean, the king has already given him permission to go, to go for a whole year. I mean, can you imagine if you went to your boss and you said, hey, I need to take the whole next year off. I want to be paid. And on top of that, I'd like you to supply me with some things to have a great time over this next year. He'd look at you like you're crazy. Well, Nehemiah is going to do that. I mean, listen to how specific he gets. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. So he asked, he said, hey, you said go. I'm going to test my luck here. Would you give me the supplies? Would you, would, would you give me the wood? I mean, you think Nehemiah's done his research? He even knows the one who keeps the king's forest. He can name it. And then here's a great line. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Oh, I love that. Nehemiah just asked for the supplies to rebuild the wall. If Nehemiah were running for president, this would be his line. I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall, and I'm going to ask Persia to pay for it. <laughs> Thank you, Josh Horton, for that line. I love that. I'm not, you know, not only I want permission to do it, but would you give me all the supplies? What a bold man. Let's stop here and make a couple points, okay? What does it mean to step over the edge? Nehemiah had the faith to wait. This is the most difficult thing for you and I, is when we know what God wants, and we got to wait on it. And yet, Nehemiah is willing to wait. He not only wept and prayed, he waited and prayed. He goes to that personal place with God, waiting on God to move. See, as Americans, we're so impatient. God lays on us to rebuild the wall. We want it to happen tomorrow. Nehemiah knew that this had to be God's timing and God's moment when God would open that door. Hebrews 6.12 says it this way, Through faith and patience, through faith and patience, we will inherit the kingdom of God. We must believe behind the scenes that God's working even when we don't see it. You know, Men and women of God have always got in trouble when they tried to make a move without God. Remember when the great heroes of the faith, Abraham, God had promised him a son. But Abraham and Sarah get impatient. So what do they do? They try to take a shortcut. They call in Hagar. Big mistake. In our lives, how often do we try to call in Hagar 
before we trust God. Now understand, I'm talking in a very figurative sense, all right? Figurative sense. Colin Hagar. We get impatience with God. But Nehemiah's willing to wait. Because that's a, that's a big deal. I can think of the last three years when the shepherds and elders of this church had major decisions to make. I can think of two just really, really major decisions. And in both of those decisions, there was a devotion to 40 days of prayer. In one of those decisions, your leadership got a clear yes. In another one of those decisions, there was a clear shut door. You got to sit and you got to wait. And number two, he also had the faith to risk he left what was safe. He had a cush job with the king. He comes before the king with the risk of losing his head. And now he's going to go back to Jerusalem to start building in the rubble. Now, why was he able to do this? Please continue to see this. He had seen the hand of God. When you believe God's a part of something, you're willing to reach out and take risk, even when you can't see how it will work. One of my favorite moments in the history of this church over the last years was when I um, first moved here and we didn't really have much of a staff and we were a rather small church and God was beginning to move in powerful ways and it was in that moment that we hired Paul Evans and Al Milligren. Now I always remember that meeting and uh, the elders offered them the job. They were foolish enough to accept it without knowing their salary. And then one of them said to the elders, well, how are y'all going to pay for this? And they're like, we don't know, but God will provide. And he did, and he blessed it. Because people had enough evidence in their life to step out and take a risk for God. And when you're a part of something that God's doing, you step out and you take those risks. So, let's keep reading. Go with me to verse, verse 11. Let's keep watching. This is when he finally gets back to Jerusalem. Um, you need to know... To get to Jerusalem from where he was in Persia was a, a 25-day journey. So it's been a long journey. So I went to Jerusalem, was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Is that not an awesome line? What my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. And then he begins to investigate the scene. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring into the dung gate. Doesn't sound like that would smell very well. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for my animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there to do the work. Well, so he, Nehemiah goes on this tour of Jerusalem to figure out exactly what is the condition of the walls, what are the conditions of the gates. So now he's got his facts in front of him. And now he's going to meet with the people. So look at verse 17. He's got all the people there. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
He rallies the people. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words the king had spoken to me. So he says, guys, I want you to go with me and let's start this great work. But you've got to understand, God's been in this way before this. His hand's been on this. You want to motivate people to go beyond where they are, you explain to them how God has been answering prayers, how the hand of God is on that situation, and how he's ready to walk with you further. So, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And then, of course, there's going to be opposition. Listen to me. Anytime God opens an opportunity for you, hell will bring opposition. The enemies don't want to see this. And so we see them rear their ugly head in verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab, I'm from Alabama, I was about to say Arab, when, when, when Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will rise and build. Boy, he's tough here. But you, you dudes, have no portion or right or claim to Jerusalem. So let's talk a little bit more about stepping over the edge and what happens. He waited, he risked, but here's what you've got to see here. He had faith to plan. Sometimes we get this weird idea in our head that faith and organization or faith and planning don't go together. Sometimes people tell me, they say, well, well you know, you don't need to study before you preach. You, you, just need to, you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and get up and go. And listen to me. I, I believe the Holy Spirit guides me. I think he'll guide me right now. And I'm praying for him to do this. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit shows up in my office when I'm studying the scriptures, right? You know, faith is not an excuse for a lack of organization. And, and Nehemiah understood that. And he had a plan. He was faithful, but he was also strategic in what he did. And then number four, he had the faith to motivate you notice the way he motivates the people? Again, he didn't come back to Jerusalem and say, what have you guys been doing, man? This place is a mess. You've made a mess. You need to get busy building. No, no, no. He uses the words we and us, not you and them. And then the most important thing is he tells them about God's hand. He tells them this incredible story that he's gone to this heathen king, the, the very nation that had destroyed Jerusalem, Asked him if he could go back and rebuild it, and even asked him for the supplies, and the king gave it to him. Because that only happens with God. You want to motivate people to do good? He goes, My goodness, guys, God's hand is already in this. He is working. I can tell you how it's happening, and let's go for it. And then, number five, he, he had the faith to focus. Now, listen closely here. When the critics come, he doesn't give them the time of day. Now, there are moments when your critics can be your best friends. 
If they've got good motives, and they say, buddy, you need to work on this, or Landmark, you need to work on this, and you need to listen. But when your critics are faithless, when your critics are not of God, what Nehemiah teaches is you don't listen. Too many churches are controlled by the lowest denominator of person who just says, I'm uncomfortable with this, I don't like this. They're not speaking by faith, they're speaking by comfort. And Nehemiah is not willing to listen to that. He said, guys, I just can tell you guys, I'm not, and we'll see this go throughout the whole book. I'm not coming down there to talk to you about this, guys. I'm not wasting my time when we've got this incredible thing to focus on. Oh, yes, if, if you are a caring critic, that's one thing. If you're a faithless critic, that's a completely different thing. So I hope you've seen as we've gone through this chapter, all these quotations about the faith of God. Show that in the next screen if you would. So I prayed to the God of heaven, for the good hand of my God was upon me. What my God had put into my heart, the God of heaven will give me success. My friends, when are you going to be willing to step over the edge? It's when you understand that God is with you. Oh, you can't see by sight, but you can see by faith. And I appreciate so many people in this church who through the years, and just small one or two people, decided to do something great and stepped over that edge. Over 20 years ago when our ministry to, to addicts started, RSVP, started as a very small group. And yet Ed Bice and Tim Lee had the faith just to step over that edge and say, this needs to go on. Many of you are in this church when there was a movement to minister to the inner city, though that looked like a difficult proposition, but you stepped over the edge because you saw God in it. So many of you are part of hope-inspired ministry that's giving hope to people literally off the streets that they could be equipped for a job, and you stepped over the edge. Many of you are aware that over this last week and Tuesday to 6 p.m. to Wednesday at 6 p.m., there were people in this room for 24 hours praying. There's one story I must tell you. Doug Amos, what time did you come up here that night? Two o'clock. Come up here in the middle of the night, two o'clock. And what was your prayer? Agape. So he, he, did, he shows up here praying for over some of the Nehemiah prayer points, but more than anything, he's been asked to pray for this agape ministry to help foster kids in adoption. And God does something in his heart. And Doug goes to his radio station and decides, we're going to do something cool today. We're going to raise some money for agape. How much money did you end up raising, Doug? $9,500. Yeah. I mean, he saw the hand of God in something that started decades ago. For some reason, God... I think God put him here at 2 o'clock at the hour to pray for agape. It comes into his heart, and he steps over the edge. And before long, all these people are giving, and someone calls into his radio show and says, I'll match it. And guys, that's the way it happens. I want to point out Nicole Darius back here. Um, That's Coach Pritchard's wife. And um, you may not know this, but you may have seen this on this list, but in our groups on Wednesday night, she stepped out to help any women that have encountered any kind of sexual abuse in their life. 
And guys, if we'd be honest, the percentages are extremely high. That's a big step for Nicole. And then I'll say to you, some of you women who may relate to that, your faith step may be to walk in that room and say, I need some help. Thank God for people who see God, who hear his calling, and who step over the edge. And this morning, I'm asking you this question. What faith step is God calling you to take? Where do you see God's hand? Where's God already working? Now listen to me, guys. Everybody has a next step. here's, Here's the cool thing. You can take this step because you've already seen God working. You've got an amount of faith. But here's the cool thing about when you take a risk for God. When you take that risk and you experience God being with you, your faith grows. Because most of us, if we be honest, our faith does not grow without the element of some type of risk. When I finally say, God, you told me to forgive this person. It makes absolutely no sense to me, but I'm just going to go ahead and forgive them by faith. And you do it, and you experience the peace of God, and you say, next time, God, you ask me to do something, I'll be glad to do it because I've experienced that. And what I'm saying to you is, can you imagine what Nehemiah experienced when he takes this step of faith out, and he goes out, and we'll see in the next 50, 50 days, the wall will be rebuilt. Too often we're like the guy that, you know, gets too, too close to the edge of the cliff and he falls and he grabs a limb and he's looking down a thousand feet below him to canyon. His name's Jack and he keeps yelling out, help, help, somebody please come help me. And he's been doing that for, for an hour it seems like and nobody's helped him until finally he hears a voice and the voice says, Jack, I see you. Well, where are you? I'm up here. In fact, I'm everywhere. Who are you? I'm God. And then Jack pleads with God, God, you tell me whatever I need to do in the rest of my life. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll read my Bible. You know, I'll I'll pray. I'll, I'll give my money. And God says, just hold up a minute, Jack. We'll talk about that later. Well, what do you want me to do, God? Let loose of the limb. And then you know the story, there's a long silence, and finally Jack says, help, is anybody else up there? (laughs) Let me just be honest with you guys. There ain't nobody else who can do this. If you're going to live this way by faith, if you're going to experience the fullness of God, then you're going to take this step because you have seen God working. That's why we read stories like this in the Bible. It's not because this is what God used to do. It's because this is the same God that we serve. And so this morning, he's calling you, what is that step? Maybe it's in your marriage that you need to finally go get some help and not just endure it. Maybe it's that relationship with a child that you need to go to and you need to make it right. Maybe it's letting people where you work really know that God comes first. When to this point you've just tried to fit in. Maybe you do have an addiction issue. And you need to show up here on Wednesday night like dozens of other people for that ministry RSVP. 
Maybe he's a member of this church. You're a little scared about stepping into a small group because you might be vulnerable there. And I would challenge you, that may be the next step for you. Your next step may be to go to someone you know who doesn't know Christ and to share your faith. Your next step may be to go back to school, school starting soon, and go there with a mission for God. Or on your team, be there and be the presence of God. Spiritually, your next step may be just you're going to set aside some time every morning, 15 minutes, to pray and to read your Bible. Or you decide this is a chance for you to take the risk and lead your family. Or there may be some role in this church, some dream you have, like Nicole, that you go, you know what, I want to step up. God, I love, I love the, the line of Nehemiah, what God has put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. What ministry, what opportunity has God put on your heart? So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And if, if you need to respond and us pray for you about that step, there's a really safe place up here we call the front row. And what I can promise you about this wonderful church is that you will not be judged, but you will be loved. And you'll be surrounded by other people who will support you as you take that scary step, that moment where you finally go, I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of living the way I am. And I'm afraid, that's okay to say, but it's time I stepped over the edge. And listen to me, that first step over the edge may be to step into one of these aisles and show up on this front row. And when you do that, you join the company of great men and women of Scripture. Men like Nehemiah who stepped out of his comfort to risk his life to save God's city. Women like Mary, who when God said to him, I want you to bear as a virgin the Son of God, who says, may it be as you have said, and her entire life has changed. Young people like David, who when nobody else would face Goliath, stepped off that mountain into the valley for victory. And then more than anything, the call today is for you to follow Jesus who stepped out of the comforts of heaven, stepped into our broken world so that you and I could be healed. I don't know about you, but I'm in love with Jesus and I want to follow him. And at times that caused me to take some scary steps. But I'll tell you in my life, you've probably experienced in your life, I've never stepped out when God has called me that God has not blessed me. And I promised you today, If you're struggling to step out and take that stand for God, God is going to show up, He's going to show out, and you're going to end up with more faith than you ever have had. You need to take that step right now. Come right now while we stand and sing.